Our Amazing Race 32 Premier Recap is sponsored by our friends over at rockauto.com. You know, chain stores, they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and for do-it-yourselfers. What? rockauto.com. Their prices are the same for everybody. They're reliably low. rockauto.com. They always offer the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like the airlines do. rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require a membership or an account login. RockAuto.com. They are a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet, whether it's for your classic or daily driver. Get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. RockAuto.com's unique catalog is remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. And best of all, Prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Rob, it's a podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Everybody, what's going on? Rob Sesterdino here to kick off our amazing race 32 regular season coverage. Yes. Very excited to talk about a new cast of characters as the amazing race hits 1 million miles here in season 32. And back with us to talk about it all, our chief amazing race correspondent, Jessica Lee. Jess, how are you? Um, I am terrific, Rob. I have a song stuck in my head, and I don't really know exactly how that happened. Hmm. Yeah. Is it yeah, Forget the Mustard, It's Karate Time? It, you guessed it, Rob. And for some reason, I'm craving bananas, but I don't know exactly why that is either. Okay. All right. And also back with us to talk about everything. Give it up for Mr. Mike Bloom. So happy to be here, Rob. If I could rate my mood on a scale from one to ten, it would definitely be three, five, three, five, two, five, eight. <laughs> Do the math. I wasn't told there would be math. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are here with the first of one of two amazing race uh, podcasts for you here this week. We're going to have a straight recap here. Uh, it's going to be on Thursdays for the next couple of episodes. And then we have a, a brand new show, which we are calling The Tar Pits. I love we it. Really, we're we officially are- going with that. Yes, that's what you wanted, right? That's what I wanted. Yeah. But look, we we started in California in this season. I think it's only appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're there for briefly, and we're going to go ahead and have a second uh, Amazing Race podcast a week, which is going to include our exit interview that you'll hear with myself and Jessica. That we're going to talk with a Amazing Race booted contestant. We will be talking with uh, Team Catfish, Nathan and Cody. In I, this, I, don't th- I really don't think they signed off on that name, by wait, the way. Wait, Rob, are, are you sure we're really going to be talking to yeah, them? Yeah, you think we might be, be Catfish? Else? It might be somebody else. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're expecting. Uh, Mike, you'll also have uh, Exit Press with them for Parade.com, correct? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mine will be sort of like the uh, the appetizer. I'll have the written version of my interview up uh, probably later today, later on Thursdays, and then we'll play the audio version, or it'll sort of be either the appetizer or the dessert for the tar pits proper, which, as we talked about during our uh, our draft podcast, it's sort of like a potpourri. Uh, mm-hmm. It really is sort of like, uh, I don't know, it's it's like the goat racing of tar podcasting in that, like, we're going to let this podcast go and trail behind it holding a rope, and we really don't know where it's going to lead us, but we're going to talk about all the odds and ends from this week in Amazing Race. Yeah, we'll take feedback questions, we'll talk about social media, we'll play some games, we'll have guests throughout the season, and so uh, that will be a little bit more of the uh, catch-all podcast for each week of The Amazing Race. Uh, you will hear that podcast in just a few deos from now uh probably <laughs> that was will come out sunday night for our uh feedback show for the amazing race there you go all right so that's the uh, schedule for uh what's to come and just i guess uh at this hour uh amazing race 32 is here what was your reaction to the premiere um i was kind of dreading it going into it to be honest i mm. was a little concerned like i didn't know whether I was going to be excited for it or what if it's what if it's a boring, terrible season 24 esque season of the amazing race. And then I got there and it was like, oh, this is everything I used to love about this show. Everything I love that I can't do right now. Mm hmm. And I'm not jealous. I'm just happy to watch someone else be doing it. And I'm happy to think about a happier time in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if you could use two words to define this or three words to define this episode, I think it would really be that this season, The Amazing Race is fun and good. (laughs) It's also it's noteworthy. As it should be. This is the first CBS reality season this year that of like the big three that does not have returning contestants on it. I think that's a bit of a breath of fresh air that these are completely new people, unless you are a a fan of the NFL or the Olympic hurdling sport. Uh, This felt like getting to know 22 new personalities. And I'm sure we have a lot to talk about in terms of the actual structure of the leg and the surprise ending in a manner of speaking. Yeah. But I, I think the strongest part of this episode was how much we got to know these teams. And it seems like our positive thoughts on the cast preseason were only say positive vibes. No, no, no. Uh, luckily not. Speaking of previous amazing racers. But I, I think that our thoughts were only emboldened by this cast. This is a really fun group of people. And this was yeah. only highlighted in this episode, in my opinion. Yeah. They're real people. And, you know, every year you get like the usual amazing race cranks being like, don't cast any celebrities and social media people cast real contestants. And they did that. And we got like kind of the platonic ideal of real contestants here. I mean, we could quibble a little bit. I would Certainly love to see a few more women and why are there so many male male teams, but I think this is just a really strong, exciting group of people that all seem genuinely thrilled to be there. They all seem like the show is doing them a favor and not the other way around, which is not true every year. Yeah. So I we got that. Yeah. I thought the show uh, was a fun premiere. I thought it looked great. Did they up the production on uh, like, uh, did you either of you notice anything different like uh, camera wise? I, I might have they, I, just I been watching they, a more of a bootleg stream in past years of The Amazing yeah, I Race. Know. I don't know if they upped so, the cinematography. Maybe it's just because we're, again, it's been a, such a long time since we've seen Amazing Race. That yeah. It takes a bit, a bit getting used to. Uh, I will say, you know, Jess, you, you have famously said that, like, 
if you want to get good amazing race the premieres and the finales are the two worst episodes to do so because the first episode has a behemoth of a job of introducing 22 people while also you know telling a story as to why one team lost and i i feel like while it was not like a shot out of the gate absolutely incredible premiere there was nothing as big as like you know uh the three teams at the sandcastles in 22 or the three teams racing to the end in 25 i thought it was still like a really nice jaunt around the caribbean it was it was absolutely lovely. It seemed jaunty. like a great place to go. Yeah, very jaunty. Yeah. It's funny, Rob. I've never been so attuned to the production value of a show as I have been after we spent the summer watching Tough as Nails. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that being said, I watched this on a tiny, tiny screen because I'm streaming the East Coast feed and it's a little hiccupy when you have to watch it in Chrome. Yeah. So it was it was hard for me to say whether I thought the production value was better. I'm going to try to watch it on a big TV later today mm-hmm. um, to get a sense of that. But I did think it looked pretty. I don't know that I felt like their budget was any bigger. Do you think the location helped that they, are, they start with like picturesque beaches and tropical locales? Honestly, I didn't think that we got as much picturesque scenery as i would have thought we were going to get going to the caribbean yeah it's a good point i mean we, we went to like a couple of beaches we saw phil in his big sun hat but i feel <laughs> like i guess the most colorful and lively part of the episode was the carnival celebration yeah which, that was to wild your point, rob that that might have been like the big pop of of cinematography yeah i don't know if they did anything particularly different like uh, i'd have to go back and watch some uh, amazing race 31 i just thought maybe they might be using a better camera in the field for uh amazing race uh 32 maybe uh but it could just be in my imagination but uh, let's get into I, I think the biggest story coming out of this amazing race is that it was a very surprising end, at least for me, that once Phil tells the teams that arrive at the mat that, all right, you're still racing, go on. I'm thinking, okay, non-elimination leg, which I said, okay, this is good because I feel like, oh, we got to know these teams, uh, you know, that it's so anticlimactic when there's the non-elimination legs during the course of the season. This is a great spot. I know they've done it before in the past where they've done a non-elimination leg to start things off. And I'm no Amazing Race historian, but I want to say, is that Amazing Race 19 that they did that? Um, But... I'm thinking, okay, great. And then what what a surprise when Team Catfish, you're eliminated. I I was floored. Yeah, it's unprecedented. They've never they've never done that in the middle of a keep on racing leg, at least not in the US version of the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it and it made for a really I don't know. It was an awkward ending. It ended like a, a wet catfish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> where it was like, all right, everyone else keep on, keep running, keep running, keep going. And then it's like, oh hold up, guys. Uh they ran ahead, but you're gonna stop right there. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I'm I've always been a proponent, and maybe not always, because teams would get, you know, anticipated of it being a non-elimination leg on the first leg just because it allows you to get to know the teams more and they basically now have two legs to do it instead of one yeah but yeah it was, it was a it was interesting maybe they couldn't maybe they didn't have the budget for like a pit stop in tobago that they're just like all right just go to Colombia because we can't afford the hotel here well that was the thing that i was going to say was i don't think they upped their budget for production i don't think they got nicer cameras because they can't afford to put people up in a hotel for one night they're going to send them on to the next location like how are we going to see more of this are we going to see them compressing the time frame and Mm -hmm. uh, just moving on to the next place a little more frequently or do we think this is a one and done experiment 
I don't know. I mean, I personally don't mind it. I, I don't know. Maybe uh, either of you could say, explain a little bit more of like, what is the downside of doing this? Um, I think the downside is probably less prizes. I, the prizes are typically donated, are they not? Um, yeah. I, I, I think maybe the downside is more like, I think the Amazing Race in general is a grueling ordeal. And the pit stops, you know, they don't make any difference to us, the viewers, because we get a seven day pit stop in between every leg mm-hmm. of the race. But I think the keep on racing legs happen a couple of times in a season for a reason. They don't happen every time because you need that time to decompress. You need to film your confessionals, for instance. You need to you need to sleep. You need to eat. Um, you used to be able to mingle. You don't mingle anymore. Um and I think it could be a good thing. And it could be a bad thing for television. It could be a good thing because if everybody is tired, they are edgier. They're going to make more mistakes. They're going to yell at each other. It's going to be drama. But that's not the show we know and love. I don't think the show wants to push people to their breaking points. Like for that, you have Survivor. Uh, also, I think you got plenty of that in the first leg anyway, when the most well rested yeah. they'll ever be. For me, it's I think it's more of a storytelling thing. I don't know. I just felt it was a little awkward that like for me, it feels more completist to be like, OK, everyone checks in and their leg ends. It just feels odd to be like, OK, people checked in and then they started the last leg except for one team who got held back and eliminated. It's it's just something that causes a bit of like a weird disambiguation in my mind. And maybe the more they do it, the more I'll get used to it. Mm-hmm. But it just felt a little odd to sort of tack that on top of, all right, everyone go. And then you sort of hold your arm in front of Team Catfish and go, not so fast. You're well, gonna does stay team back. Fat, Mike, does Team Catfish know that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> they don't have to know. Like, where is everybody? They're, like, oh, they're, I guess they're still over. racing. Okay. Yeah. Bummer. You typically don't see the other teams once you get eliminated, I don't think. So, like, sometimes they have a thing where they keep the other teams around to say goodbye to the beloved team. Mm-hmm. But first leg, nobody is beloved enough. So well, they, they're not going to the know. The other awkward thing, I think the awkward part might come at the beginning of next episode, where now we're going to sort of have to rewind back to when Hung and Chi left the mat and opened the clue, because now we have to essentially like replay now the teams leaving the pit stop and going to this location, where as usual, there would be a period of waiting, and then everyone would sort of leave in their arrival order. Now you've condensed that, and, and you've condensed the timeline so much that now we're essentially not starting at the beginning of leg two, but sort of going back to the end of leg one. One, mm-hmm. if that makes sense again if this is a new thing and i get used to it I, I don't mind you know rescinding my comments but for now it just it just feels a little weird to me as as an amazing race fan considering that to your to jess's point we have not seen this happen on the american version every time they've done this it's always been a non-elimination leg i'm now curious i wish i had my hard drive full of international amazing race seasons to go back and look but they did it twice in the latin american version and I want to see how it played. Like, I'd like to I'd like to go look ahead and see what the next leg looks like and if that's weird or confusing. Did something happen to your hard drive or you just don't have access to it? It's in New York. Oh, okay. And I'm not in New York. Wait, so. Jess, you were going to you were vacating New York and you didn't think to bring your hard drive of international amazing race seasons. <laughs> that know, wasn't I, in your I, bug out bag. It wasn't in my bug out <laughs> bag. And I don't know what's wrong with me. But I mean, you know, back in by, fairness. Back by the time you went to Montana, The Amazing Race was going to air in May. So yeah. that was back when it had like an, an earlier air date. <laughs> yeah, but back in March, I thought I'd be home by May. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just thought that for uh, Nathan and Cody, I, I thought that they were kind of like 
unceremoniously just dispatched from the race. Like I spent the whole like second half of the episode thinking like, oh, okay, well, like uh, whoever comes in last, like uh, it's fine. It's uh, not elimination, but they just got to the mat. And Phil was like, all right, well, that's it. I'm sorry. You're eliminated from the race. And it was like basically like credits. Yeah, and he also structured it the way that he structured it is yeah. more akin to the way he structures it when he's going to tell him. However, yeah. I'm sorry to tell you we are the last team to arrive. However, this is you're not done racing or whatever. And this time he's like, I'm sorry to tell you, you are the last team to arrive and you have been eliminated for the race. Like, who does he think he is? John Montgomery? <laughs> if only. If only. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> sad story for Nathan and, and Cody. Uh, really sad story for uh, for Nathan. Yeah, this was uh, this. And this is one of those, you know, when you do like the why this first team was eliminated. Sometimes it's like getting things wrong navigationally. Sometimes it's, you know, just really falling behind. This really was like specifically one task is what eliminated them. And it was this roadblock. Were it not mm-hmm. a steel drum roadblock, I do think that these two guys stay in the game, but they just got matched up with the wrong task at the wrong time. Okay. All right, I want to break down everything from this leg of the race. But first, let me thank a sponsor for this episode of the podcast. Those are our friends over at KiwiCo. And KiwiCo is great because they are making super cool, hands-on science, art, and geography projects that get delivered to your door every month for you to work on with any special young people in your life. It's like having a pit stop delivered right to your door to be able to work on with a young person. And uh, this Halloween is definitely going to be a little bit different. But the treats don't have to stop at candy. No tricks uh, with KiwiCo. Hands on science in our projects. Your ghoulies won't have to go batty with boredom. Uh, Jess, that I, I know you've had the chance to play with some KiwiCo uh, with George. Uh, is it a big hit at your house? It's a huge hit. We we got a tinker crate that was um, you could construct a glowing pendulum and there was a little bit of engineering to it. There were wires. There was there was assembly. That part was fun. And then you got this thing that teaches you about chaos theory and chaos theory. What? Yeah, my kid is four and he's learning about chaos theory. And we're also we got this. It was a little board and it and it made a light. And if you shut yourself in a dark room, you could see the trail that the light made mm-hmm. and watch the swinging pendulum create chaotic patterns. And we have played with this thing for hours. Like building it was fun, but playing with it, you know, sometimes it's the case where you build something and then after you're done building it, it's like, what do I do with this thing I built? But this was just like nonstop action after we built wow, it. I had no idea so, that Ian Malcolm was responsible for, for KiwiCo. Yeah, it, it, it's true. I, I I, honestly, I learned about chaos theory with Jurassic Park. And now my kid has not seen Jurassic Park. and He already knows all about it. Yeah, it's really great to be able to have activities that you can work on with children right now when you're so limited on the activities that you can get to do uh, with them. I know that my two boys are thrilled whenever they have the chance to work on uh, KiwiCo because they get to put together the project. And then the project becomes a toy that they get to play with. And so... Unboxing a crate feels 
feels just as exciting as receiving it. Everything you need is inside this colorful crate so your child can get started right away. Encourage your children to be innovators and creative thinkers. Of course, there are crates of kids for uh, different ages, whether uh, you're as young as uh, Mike Bloom's son, Asher, or uh, they're getting older than my son, Dominic. There's something for every kid on your list. There's no commitment. You can pause or cancel anytime. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills are something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get 30% off your first month, plus free shipping on any crate line at KiwiCo.com slash RJP. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash R-H-A-P. And always uh, think of Phil Kogan, uh, who puts the Kiwi in KiwiCo. No mucking around with KiwiCo. Well, let's talk through the episode and talk about how we got to ultimately Nathan and Cody being eliminated. Uh, We started things off at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles, California. Just what do you think of uh, the starting line and the way that they set this up? Because in seasons past, most recently, that uh, Amazing Race has like started for the most part, from what I can recall, uh, I guess maybe other than some of the like uh, blind date type seasons with a lot of fans fair and you know big crowds at the mat this time is a little bit more of an isolated locale well it kind of it varies rob i think it's it's about half and half like mm-hmm. i think i think it's been every season i think since 25 has no that's not true there was one after that that i think it would have been 29 that had the start in washington square park but every Oh, yeah, yeah. It so was, that was the, yeah, yeah. you were at the 29 when I was at the 31, which is in Washington Square Park, which was the big right, the team 31. And that, and that was, no, and that 25 was, was the other New York one. Yeah. And that it was, was more so, I think, for like the for like the seminal, like this is the 30th year. So I think they wanted yeah. to like send it off in a big way with a big crowd. Yeah, I think there have been I can remember like three recent seasons, uh, 27 and 30 and 25 that have they've said show up to the starting line and be a Mm -hmm. big crowd and be like cheer and be excited. And then the rest of them are like they're running out of L.A. landmarks to shoot at. (laughs) And it's always like, oh, okay, here we are on the football field of a random college campus. And part of that is a secrecy thing. Yeah. Um, Sometimes they're like, F it. We're just going to let everybody know who's racing and where they're racing from and where they're going. And then sometimes it's like a bit of a mystery to unpack and i think i think it just varies and i think yeah they were at ucla last season if i remember now yeah yeah now i remember yeah and i think it it just depends on what they're trying to say about the first leg and i think the hollywood bowl was a fine starting point i don't think it's one they've used before i think they've been there but not as the starting line and i thought it was very cinematic the way they had it lit up all red with the teams lined up it made a very nice opening shot Mm -hmm. so i think it's fine. I don't know. I starting mm-hmm. line is pretty much it's it's okay. I don't really have opinions yeah. on well, I, I, what I works and doesn't. I mean, I think it seems like now after last season and now this one, I think we now sort of have an idea of how the Amazing Race wants to approach the starting line, which is Phil now sort of taking the probes approach and interrogating a few teams about their thoughts on others. We saw that obviously last season, but we wondered if that was just for the reality star circumstances only. It appears not to be the case. I will also say uh, I will buy a drink to the editor who made the choice to edit the team packages in the episode instead of just at the starting line. That, in my opinion, was one of as much as I'm an amazing race, old school fan. 
it was a little drudging in those old seasons to go through each team's package before the starting line even began mm-hmm. to just intersperse them throughout the episode. I thought is a genius. Very movie. Australian survivor. Exactly. But no slow motion shots of them like, you know, uh, at their real estate <laughs> company selling houses in grand fashion. Yeah, I will say that I think that uh, Survivor 40, I think, did this uh, a little bit as well. I think like over the course of their two hour premiere that they did like some flashbacks where like Michelle Fitzgerald had like a flashback to her talking about her journey in the second hour of the premiere. So good to see that uh, more of the CBS uh, reality shows are using this idea because it's a good one. I thought, though, it was uh, very odd, Jess, that I I thought I missed something because they get out of the Hollywood Bowl, they grab their tickets, and then opening credits, and we're in Trinidad and Tobago. Did we see anything from the flight? Like, I I was, this was jarring. Well, Rob, it's really interesting to me. That was actually the next place I was going to go with this uh, because it's a nice segue from what Mike was just saying about the fact that we didn't get that whole intro package because it's a very old school thing. And this is a thing that people say they miss. And I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and presume to tell people what they actually think. So. You don't miss this. Mm-hmm. You don't miss people waiting in line at the airport and trying to get tickets and pushing each other around. It's just something you remember from the earlier seasons. And I'm not talking you personally, Rob. I'm talking everybody. People say, where's the airport drama? How will I know how they got there if I don't see them getting on a plane? And it's like there's two reasons they don't do that anymore. The first reason is for a lot of the flights now, it's much cheaper to put them on a charter flight instead of. Mm-hmm. having them buy their own tickets at the last minute. And for security reasons, it's harder to do that as the years go on. So it's like, we'll just put them on a flight. And sometimes they might have two flights and that creates the drama. And we can go into, you know, I've got two hours of material on why that's stupid and should stop, but we're not going to go there right now. So that's one thing. They don't really have people buying their own tickets or struggling to get on a flight anymore. And two, when they did, it was freaking boring. It's stupid and boring. (laughs) I just was confused that uh, when they were they were driving around at night in Trinidad and Tobago. And I was like, wait, are they still are they on their way to LAX? Like I was a little bit. Yeah. What kind of person is going to look at that and be like, but I don't know how they got there. I know how they they I know how they got. I didn't know where they were was what I'm saying. Like, uh, even if I I just so happened that they landed in Trinidad, Tobago at night. So you could say like, oh, wow, they got there really quick. Or wait, where are they night when they (laughs) left? I just I thought that we were still on their way to LAX. I'm not saying Mm. I I missed seeing the airport uh, that I was like, I felt like that. Maybe I missed the establishing shot that we were in Trinidad and Tobago. I do wonder if there was a, a task that maybe we missed out on, because I know that was the case last season, oh, uh, when yeah. there was like an extra thing. So maybe I, well, I guess we'll find out when we talk with Team Catfish as uh, to whether they had to, to do something about extra. Mm-hmm. I, I could do a little digging. I'll, I'll see, like, if there was an extra task, somebody's going to know about it. Mm-hmm. But I would suspect that that that's definitely a possibility. It might have been something very small. I do think it's interesting that the tasks this episode... We didn't have a roadblock until like the very end, tail end, and the rest was all like route marker things. And mm-hmm. I think we've had most previous seasons have not had a whole bunch of tasks that weren't tied to a roadblock in the first episode. Sometimes we have two roadblocks, but we don't typically have a number of extra tasks that aren't tacked on to roadblock. 
You know, I also want to mention that the show started with a disclaimer from Phil, which I thought was probably necessary because I really and I I haven't like gone on the uh, the Amazing Race Facebook page, which is probably let's let's bookmark that, Mike, for something to do for our tar pits. We can definitely do a casuals corner on the target. Because I was wondering what percentage of the Amazing Race audience is sort of like in the whodunit mold of the, (laughs) oh my God, they're really killing people on a show of like, this is reckless. How could they be going? They're going around. Nobody's wearing a mask. It's very dangerous to be going. People at Carnival, not, well, some of them are wearing masks, but not for the right reasons. It's for costume (laughs) purposes. Right. So I felt like what percentage of the audience were going to be those people what percentage of the audience was going to be like oh see the that uh when hollywood wants to shoot a tv show see oh nobody's wearing a mask and look nobody's sick obviously uh goes to show you must something must be going on here uh thank thankfully we got a disclaimer from phil this was shot two years ago everybody are we gonna need this at the beginning of every leg I wonder. I, I think this is a good question for uh, like, will will there be people on confused people on the Facebook page, Mike? So I'm looking right now. It doesn't look like it doesn't look like anyone has particularly become belligerent <laughs> at the idea of Phil's goal uh, to have this show happen. No, it just seems like a lot of general positive Good. comments about it. So if there are, if there were people that were a bit confused, even with the disclaimer, they have been promptly scrubbed <laughs> from the Facebook page. Okay. Good. All right. So we're going to uh, start things around. And uh, yeah, this we're going to really get our money's worth out of steel drums in this episode because we're going to yeah, start we know how they're made. Sort of. We get the first we get the first step and we get the product. We don't really know the middle part of how it gets created. Well, I will for that, say... you have to go on the Discovery Channel. Exactly. This Maybe that could have been some, how it's some carryover. I will say I was a little nervous in the first half of this episode because we got like Starting line to the airport to a strength-based task of just roll this thing down a, a street. And I was like, uh-oh, is this really going to be like the big physically tough season like Phil was talking about? So it made me very happy that the second half of the season or second half of the episode was so um, much more various in its tasks. And you see that reflected in the fact that both of two of the three teams of professional athletes finish in the bottom uh, because it wasn't just about pushing things around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Donkey Kong task. (laughs) I I could not watch people doing that. It was it was very hard to watch because I was just thinking about how bad that must be for your lower back. (laughs) To be pushing the barrel around the street. I feel like I I would have tried to find a tool. I would Mm -hmm. have like picked up a stick or something and tried to like fulcrum my way down this hill. Or or kick it. Yeah, or kick it. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. I I mean yeah, I mean, you could kick it in Trinidad and Tobago. There are several. There's a married couple here. An <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they couple. used to kick it. Exactly. Uh, well, to that perspective, though, does that mean that someone like Hung, who is five foot nothing and 100 pounds, would she actually add an advantage as opposed to like the tall volleyball bros who had to stoop over to push these barrels along? I think a low center of gravity is definitely your friend when it comes to this thing. Hmm. Okay. Um, good good to know in case uh we're gonna try to handicap the next uh barrel pushing task on a, a amazing race is there gonna be one every week rob 
<laughs> I don't know. Oh, no. Is that going to be the memory task? <laughs> <laughs> There's just a, like different barrels with things painted on them. And you have, yeah, to, and you have to, to you have to stack them in a certain order. <laughs> well, it's my favorite thing of every Amazing Race season is what's going to be the memory task. And then like nine times out of ten, they don't even have them anymore. Mm hmm. We ended up uh, going to the uh, Carnival party in uh, Trinidad. Uh, Mike, this was a rager. This was Hoppet. It had everything. <laughs> yes. yes. Fire eaters. <laughs> a woman with a blurred out crotch next to Phil. <laughs> and the midnight robber. Yeah. A man who's two parts green man and one part mass singer contestant. <laughs> I was waiting for this. I was waiting for it. Yeah. Boy, uh, I was surprised. Uh, Jess, is this the most amount of blurring we've ever had in The Amazing Race? I believe so. I, it's mm. not a show that does a whole lot of blurring. Like every so often you get it and it like makes you think of Survivor. Like mm -hmm. somebody's got a wardrobe malfunction or something like that. But it seemed to me like this is unusual for Amazing Race. They typically don't like to go there. Yeah, yeah. There was there was one infamous roadblock at the end of season four where one of the guys went nude for it. Mm -hmm. They were in oh, Hawaii, yes. and he like mm -hmm. had to like like I think I'd like pick up a clamshell and break it open for the clue, and he was completely naked. But I would say in terms of quantity, I think this has it outdone in terms of blurry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they do tell people not to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. It it is frowned upon. Like, please keep your clothes on. This is a family show and we don't have the survivor budget to blur you out if you do. Yeah. But you saw a couple of the contestants like, uh, you know, sort of just sort of like uh, dancing with uh, different uh, party goers in various states of undress. It's a well, wild party. I mean, they're they're adapting to the culture. They're, mm -hmm. they're taking it all in. They're experiencing everything. I think, wouldn't you, Rob? <laughs> Certainly. Depends on who you're racing I with. I mean, he is. This is the midnight robber we're talking to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Mike, what, what is the midnight robber? Uh, it's a good question. I thought it was some sort of euphemism for drugs, but apparently this is, I don't know if this was, I don't know if this is a, like a character from Trinidad, you know, lore in the style of like your once, uh, you know, once on this island type of thing. Uh, actually, it looks like it is maybe a, a, a figure from that. So it's almost like, you know, dressing up like a figure from uh, from cultural mythology. Uh, but he seemed to be sporting a very nice outfit. I do feel bad for him because it seems like there's probably a lot of body heat going on in that party. <laughs> he was wearing a full length like Jack Skellington outfit and giant mariachi hat. Mm -hmm. You'd have to imagine he was just like sweating his butt off the entire time. Maybe it's like Disney where they swap out the mascot every half hour because they don't want them to get overheated. Mm. Uh, maybe they have like a backup midnight robber. Uh, is is he the guy that has one more silver dollar, or that's the Midnight Rider? Okay. Yes, exactly. Just do we and think there's also the Midnight Cowboy, which is very, very different. Oh, mm -hmm. that's that's a different show entirely. <laughs> Just do we think that the Midnight Robber might have been a D-list celebrity? I think if it had been a D-list celebrity, they would have taken the head off at some point. <laughs> yeah, maybe it could be a former Amazing Race contestant. I mean, that's there's precedent for that. So, yeah, but then maybe they didn't want to, you know, repeat where people just don't know who they are and completely get, reach them stone faced, not realizing right. who the celebrity is in front of them. Why? Right. Yeah. When did that I've happen? Every season of The Amazing Race. Oh, that was the finale of 29. 
Right. Because it was, uh, yeah. Ernie was, and Cindy was, were in the stands and everybody just like goes right by them. Oh, yeah. Like yes, Brooke, and, yes, Brooke yes. and Scott were, I think, the only two to like yeah. recognize them and point it out. And everyone else was like, okay, fine. Random people in the stands. Mm-hmm. Thanks for hanging around while I like, <laughs> tried to figure out this roadblock. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we go through Carnival and uh, time to fly to Tobago. Swallow or, Taba- or to Tobago if you're Gary Barnstrom or whatever his name is. <laughs> and Gary. And Gary. And, and this is a big episode for Anne Gary, I should say. Also, I think one of my favorite parts of the packages was finding out that D'Angelo and and Gary cosplay as Alien and the Predator, apparently at Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. I, they seem like they would be a lot of fun to hang out with. Yeah, I'll be honest. They might be like my favorite team in this first batch. Yeah. They were for, again, what we were assuming them on paper, which is like maybe some generic athlete dude bros. They had so much personality in this first episode. Yeah. They were no, they were great, and uh, especially when Gary was going to go play the steel drum and uh, D'Angelo Williams suffering through that. That was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, D'Angelo Williams talking about how his like instrumentation is just in his DNA at some point, but apparently Gary missed Gary's ancestors missed that. Day they did not play school. an instrument. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, we are going to have our teams uh, on uh, two separate flights. Jess, you teased earlier in the show. You had two hours of material about why this is a bad idea. Could you give us the short version? Well, the short version is, and I think the I think the Amazing Race has corrected for this over time. But we had a couple of seasons in there, and I think particularly our least favorite season collectively, um, where there would be two flights. And the flights would be hours apart, so there was Mm. absolutely no sense of urgency for the first half of the people. And then it was down to, like, one of the teams eliminated is almost certainly going to be, like, the three Mm -hmm. teams that got stuck on this later flight because there are eight hours difference between the two flights. So I really – I really felt like – the move to have pre-booked tickets on two different flights that arrived hours apart was a very bad one for for the Amazing Race because of the way it, it segregated the teams out. And it was almost like a guaranteed win if you got on that first flight. But I think half an hour is a perfect amount of time to separate two flights to the next location. I like that we like that we got to the other island and I like that we had some very unique tasks on that island. I think we did a good job this week of showcasing Trinidad and Tobago as two separate islands that are one country. I thought that was wonderful, but yeah, the having the two flights, it's got to be 30 minutes or less between the two flights or it starts to risk the possibility that you are doomed if you're on that last flight. Okay. Jess, of, of, between Trinidad and Tobago, which is the Victoria and which is the Michelle in terms of how the <laughs> islands are received? <laughs> I, I I really couldn't tell you, Mike. I like, which think... one is is the messier, lesser child of the two? Yeah. I think all of us are a Michelle or a Victoria. It's it's true. It's like an order Muppet and a chaos Muppet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which are you, Mike? Are you a Michelle or a Victoria? I'm definitely. Well, it's tough because, uh, like, if you'd ask my sister, I'm definitely the Victoria. I feel like I'm like a micro Victoria, but a macro Michelle. And <laughs> that, like, within my own family, I might be the Victoria, but like to the world, I definitively am the the Michelle of it all. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm definitely a Michelle. <laughs> 
I mean, as an only child, I I think I have to combine both elements. Victoria. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, I I'm, I'm one person. I'm like when they merged in that Star Trek Voyager episode. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do this task, which involves you have to you have a fish. The fish has colors on it. And then you also your fish has a combination lock and then uh, and you have to figure out, find the fish that matches with your fish and then ends up uh, you have to, to put your number lock. Jess, how do you feel about this task? I think there's a lot of potential to get it right very quickly if you did it correctly. But yeah. you also didn't know if you were doing it correctly until you got into the water and saw what the task was, because I think there was no way to tell. Like, it's like, oh, it's a fish. You don't know how much variance there are in the other fish. Mm-hmm. And so you saw right. a lot of teams kind of run into that where they looked at their fish and they're like, OK, this is what color the stripes are. This is what color the body is. This is how this all goes together. And then they got in the water and all the fish were blue. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can correctly suss out how much variance there is and what is the specific detail you need to be looking for. You could get through it very quickly or you would get stuck brute forcing your way through the task and trying your combination lock on every single fish. Yeah. Mike, was this a potential five hole for Nathan and Cody to get eliminated on this leg? With the- <laughs> no, only, only if it was to reach your hands within the fish to catch them. You know, what I, what I liked about this was that this was really a crash course in sort of Amazing Race 101. You don't need to play the stinger, but you could <laughs> play the stinger. We have right, it. Go ahead. Okay. All right. All right play yeah. it. All right. Let's do some Amazing Race. This is some Amazing Race 101. Yeah. Amazing Race 101. Race Just can George play uh, Deo on the xylophone? Uh, I could work on teaching him. I mean, he's okay. he's in college now because that's how long ago it was that we recorded that stinger. But I'll I'll give him I'll give him a call at his <laughs> at his university and get him to record Deo. <laughs> yeah. All right, Amazing Race 101. Read your damn clue. <laughs> That's the Amazing Race 101 for this week. That was the issue, was that you had teams not read the full clue, which said both memorize the colors and memorize your number. You had some, like Hung and Chi, not memorize the colors. You had some, like Jerry and Frank, not memorize the numbers. And so as a result, they got hung up on it. Now, I think Hung and Chi, I am stunned, flabbergasted that, yes, it took 55 fish, but that they actually end like... I was so I was like, okay, this is their death knell when, you know, she's like, no, we're just going to keep going. Let's just brute force our way through the fish. And it somehow worked like they they left in third place through the luck of the draw just by not even knowing the colors just said, all right, let's just go down the line of fish and try this combination on each and every one of them. It reminds me a lot of the I think it was season 13 that had this task in Brazil where they just took you to this this field that had these fences with all these words painted on it and they said get your clue and all you had to do was write down everything that was on the fences and just go to the clue master and read every single thing that was written on the fences until you got to the right one Mm -hmm. and it's interesting that that is something you can do and it doesn't totally screw you but i thought that the correct strategy here was to have somebody focused on the colors and somebody else retain the number Mm -hmm. Because if you're both in the water, I think there's no downside to splitting it up that way. 
But I guess the question is then, could you split up yourself? Because that's what I, it seemed like the re, the benefit, I guess, of each of you memorizing the colors and the numbers is that you could physically split up and go down the line and try out fish. Whereas if you did that, then you sort of have to stick together to make sure that the fish had the right colors. Well, there are rules to this. Uh, and I don't know if the rules have changed over time, but it used to be that you could not get more than 20 feet from your partner unless one of you was doing a roadblock. Hmm. Mm, pre-socially distant amazing right <laughs> yeah it's like the opposite of social distancing <laughs> so uh, i felt like that this particular task I, I didn't think really played great for television that i felt like that it was hard to play along with that you didn't really remember uh, who had what and other than just watching the team struggle a lot of it was like under the water you couldn't really see what was happening so i, I feel like this was more of a great idea for an escape room that you might be in i didn't think that this really was a great amazing race task escape the ocean that mm-hmm. should be, now that it's a new thing yeah. there's a reason that we haven't gotten a good reality show about an escape room mm-hmm. i think we see that in action here wow yeah, I could... really infringing on previous amazing race contestants joey graceffa's work mm-hmm. it, it, that's not on tv <laughs> I, I really honestly couldn't tell you a sing what what color combination a single one of these teams had. Like they all seemed like they had like red, green, yellow or green, red, yellow. And I I couldn't tell you what they were looking for. And I think maybe if they'd been if there had been a better visual cue, this would have played better on television. Yeah. Well, to the point that Levon even talks about that, right? That there were so many colors being shouted out that like she was confusing herself, which I would also say Kelly and Levon delivered on any preseason expectations of them being good TV. I'm so glad they they scraped by by the scruff of their necks because they are just they are very very fun when talking about these tasks specifically you know in retrospect yeah uh, they were, had a lot of screen time in the first episode uh kelly talked a few different times about how uh dyslexia and numbers uh mike uh outside of the down the hatch podcast uh have you talked about anybody who has as much problems with numbers I mean, uh, luckily, we have Kelly and we have Hurley. I guess they have that in common. But they're making their own luck, in a manner of speaking. But yes, it seems like Kelly, I guess, not only has dyslexia, but dyscalculia, which is dyslexia with numbers, which I only learned from that one Degrassi The Next Generation episode with <laughs> Liberty, say. where she had dyscalculia. Uh, but I feel bad. I mean, this is this was not a good episode for Kelly. It was worse for Nathan, but it was pretty bad for Kelly as well, considering she had to face this now twice. And this has me a bit worried because I know if they want to make it all the way, there will be other tasks where, to Jess's point, it'll be like, read this word, write this down. And I, I do fear that due to no power of her own, she might have the capacity to get things mixed up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the teams then are going to go from the fish task to then go to go play uh, the... What what was the the play on words here? Uh, who can who can steal this? Who thinks they can steal a show? Who thinks they can steal the show? Okay, all right. Who thinks they can steal the show? And it's S T E E L. And uh, we're going to get a. I, I thought that this was the highlight of the night. Everything around the steel drum deo. Jess, does this stand out for you as a amazing race task, which could be live in infamy? This is a. I don't know if it if it hits the upper echelon. Like I'm not sure it's on the Mount Olympus of amazing mm-hmm. race tasks. But it was really fun to watch, and it is the kind of thing that tests a set of skills that you may not have thought of initially when you're going on the show. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think any any task that 
can find a thing that you probably can't practice. Like we have our list of tasks. We know there's going to be something that involves physical strength. So you've got to be doing your CrossFit. And we know that you're going to have to drive a stick shift at some point. And we know there's going to be memory tasks and putting something together tasks. There's not a music task every season. And that is something that when they throw it at everybody, some people are really good at it right out of the gate. And some people are really bad at it right out of the gate. And you don't necessarily have to have a natural talent for it. You can figure it out. I like the ones where you can figure it out or you can be naturally good at it or you can be naturally terrible at it. And that's not true of every task on The Amazing Race. Mike, I think what I really like about a task like this is where we're talking about like the fish task. I have no way of knowing like, are, are they going in the right direction? Are they going in the wrong direction? You get to see if they're getting better. And then also, if you have ears, you can tell if uh, they've got this or if they have uh, made a mistake somewhere along the way. Yeah, they've got this or not. Well, I think it also helps that it's a really familiar song as well, right? Like, we just finished off season 31 with Seven Nation Army, but there are not many times in Amazing Race history where you're like, ooh, I remember that earworm. I was, you know, getting down with that at Carnival back in the day. Uh, but, you know, I think we all are familiar with the works of Harry Belafonte. And so I think, you know, when you hear... Especially Dan, if you're especially a Beetlejuice you- fan. Exactly what I was going to say. It's perfect timing for the season as well. I'm surprised that the people not participating didn't have to like mouth the words and dance along as if it was somebody else controlling them. Uh, But I I think that, you know, this was something this was easy. I also think it differentiates itself in that we've had a lot of music tasks. We haven't had a lot of playing a musical instrument task. Though, which I feel is distinctly different from singing, where like mm-hmm. you can be tone deaf, but you could still have a rhythm. And in this case, this would be the perfect thing for you because all you need to do is just be on rhythm because you're really only going between what eight different notes that are clearly not only marked out in front of you, but apparently marked out on the notepad as well. I was a little surprised that they got to sort of keep the cheat sheet apparently right in front of them when they actually did the roadblock. Yeah, and it's interesting. You could always tell when somebody was getting it wrong, too. Whereas yeah. there's some of these tasks, there was one instance where they said somebody was wrong and I thought, no, that, that sounds right to me. And I think maybe they either played the wrong sequence at the wrong time or I didn't, I couldn't tell exactly how picky they were being, but yeah. for the most part, it was like, oh, you get it wrong, you know, right away. Jess, I thought early on they were being very picky where it seemed like that they were grading for pace, where it seemed like that they were grading for, no, that was too fast. That wasn't loud enough. And there were mm-hmm. some by the end. I was like, oh, wait, they blow it. And then they got the clue. Yeah, they're stopping it. They're like, not my tempo, not my tempo. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. They throw something at the wall. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, listen, that this uh, that always happens, too, though, right? Whenever you're like subjectively judging something. Mm-hmm. By the end, it's the whole Mark and Bopper thing where it's like, you're never going to get this and Gary. But like, <laughs> we're going to give it to you. You did the best that you could. <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> It's it's very true. Um, But it's also I think sometimes there is a checklist of things you have to do correctly that the judge is given and we don't know what that checklist is. So we can't quite tell what it is. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it's like you have to hit this step on this beat and you have to finish at the same time as everybody else. But the rest of the time, eh, if, if, if you do those two things, you're you're fine. I was most intrigued by not necessarily the backup band, but the one dude who seems to just be like standing around a bunch of garbage cans. I don't think he actually was playing anything. I think he was just standing holding mallets around a big like four or five different garbage cans as if he was trying to like play whack-a-mole with Oscar the Grouch. (laughs) That's that's a shockingly specific visual, Mike. (laughs) 
I've watched too much Sesame Street recently. But, you know, steel pans come in different sizes. Like, mm-hmm. there are small ones and big ones. And when you have a whole steel pan orchestra, some people are going to be playing a set that's much bigger than the other ones. And some have, like, little freestanding stand things, and some are, like, right in the drums. So I don't think I'm necessarily prepared to say that that was just some random guy that wants to be in the orchestra, and so he made his own set of garbage cans. But... I mean, who knows? I, I, this is one percussion instrument I've never actually tried. <laughs> okay, so the early stages of this task uh, set up a rivalry. I'm not sure if uh, we'll see it continue over future weeks between Chi and Michelle. Both vying, yes, to be the first place contestant. Chi, who has been taking uh, piano lessons, uh, seemed like a natural. And uh, Michelle, who really wanted to uh, beat him out, uh, ultimately comes up just short. This was this was a really fun like mini storyline. You know, I think this is going to be one of our biggest runners throughout the season is Michelle sort of being like the Jan Brady of her family and really trying to like prove herself to her sister and her family at large. And it did not go well in this episode. I think despite coming in second, she is really angry. At She's so funny, t- though. I, I really I just wrote <laughs> in my notes that uh, Michelle is so funny. Yeah, and I, I, I loved her, like, you know, talking through it all. You know, she before the season, they talked about how they're like hotheads and they're loud mouths, and that came out, and it's fantastic TV. So I'm glad they're doing so well, too, because that means the longer that they stay on, the more they get of this. But maybe one of the best editing moments of the night was, you know, Michelle complaining, like, oh, my God, he must have taken piano lessons or something, and then cut to Chi on the boat being like, <laughs> I'm like thank my, my parents for five years of piano lessons really paid off here. Yeah. I thought that was another great moment with Michelle and Victoria, just when uh, they were on the boat where Michelle ended up coming in second place. And uh, then you saw Victoria saying like, well, I think I'm, I might have been able to do it. I might have been able to get first place where uh, that she's like, uh, you, you just totally got that vibe where, oh, Victoria, she's always perfect. And Michelle yes, is always Marsha. Yes, is always yeah. competing to, you know, outshine uh, Victoria. <laughs> Yeah, I think the dynamic between the two of them, and especially they say at the beginning, well, we weren't really close growing up. And Mm. you see, like, they're very close in age, but they're like, yeah, we didn't really like each other. And I'm going to be very interested to see if that sort of competitive streak between the two of them continues and if it's going to be good for them or not good for them at all. Well, I always feel like that that's a sign of really strong casting with one of these teams where I think that sometimes Mm -hmm. it's hard to find daylight between the same gender teams when like I I have no idea what especially when they're related. Yeah. What the personality difference is between uh, Riley and Madison or or Nathan and Cody or 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 even Kelly and LeVon. Yeah. Yeah, Kaylin and Haley might as well be the same. Yes, person yes, and they—they're they, they're the most together. probably guilty of of, yeah. of of that. But no, Michelle and Victoria have like very distinct, different yeah. personalities. And I will also say, actually, speaking of casting, like, and I saw a tweet actually come out about this last night that even just that interaction between Sheen Hung and Victoria Michelle shows the power of you know really diverse casting in that you know you have them talking about maybe the differences between chinese uh, those of chinese descent descent and those of vietnamese descent and this is such a long way from like survivor cook islands when they put 
all Asian people from all different walks of life on one tribe under one umbrella. Like, I like the fact that we can sort of distinguish between different cultures that might be perceived around the same ethnicity. And I I like that sort of, to your point, Rob, maybe a rivalry that's building where Michelle certainly will not forget that she was beaten by Chi (laughs) and deprived of first place victory in this first Yes, and I think Chi has no idea he's in a rivalry with Michelle. Those are the best rivalries, are the rivalries where one person has no (laughs) idea that they are in a rivalry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Chi Chi has, like, great dad energy where he's just, like, along for the ride. He was like, all right, I guess I'll play this thing. Uh, (laughs) He was so good at it, and he's like, all right, I'll Oh, let's go to the pit stop. I think I'm pretty good. I'm pretty happy right now. Yeah. Um, we had we touched on this moment uh, with uh, Gary and D'Angelo about uh, who was going to do it. I think that they thought it was going to be a strength based challenge based mm-hmm. on the word steel, S-T-E-E-L in uh, the title. But uh, they soon realized that this was going to be a problem because uh, that D'Angelo Williams felt like it's in his DNA. Somebody has played instruments in his family. Uh, but Gary has uh, no rhythm. Yeah. Wasn't going to happen Gary. For, for Gary. <laughs> I love it. And, well, that's the thing is that you sometimes get these storylines of like, well, maybe they're not, you don't think that they're good, but they turn out to be really well. No, Gary was really bad. Really, really bad. Like it makes sense why he dressed up as the alien before, because the way he played it made it seem like he was from another planet and he never heard music in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So. Yeah, but even he got through it eventually. <laughs> they might have, they might have kind of pushed him through. But if if it had been truly the kind of task where you could not get it ever, if you were, if you had a block about it, he would still be there, mm-hmm. and they would not have come in second to last place instead of last place. And I, I think the fact that that it is a task that you can go there and be bad at it if you're not innately somebody that's musical. But you can still get it eventually. Mm -hmm. I think that makes it a good task. Yeah. We saw most of the teams get through this uh, without too much issue uh they really came down to there were four teams that were really uh struggling uh it was team catfish the olympians uh the football team and the southern sisters as uh phil called them in the preview and and those were going to be our bottom four uh it was really gonna be a question of who was gonna get this first uh just did you have an inkling on how this was gonna turn out it was it was edited to look like D'Angelo and Gary were totally out of it. And yeah. it was clearly not the case, which I thought I, I honestly thought Nathan and Cody had such a low key experience here. And we knew they were going to be the low key guys, mm-hmm. but you couldn't really look at them and say, oh, they're struggling really hard, which to me, Rob, this is why this task doesn't go into the you know, it doesn't go into my top 10 greatest tasks ever, because you didn't see people failing spectacularly at it. Like even, mm-hmm. even Gary was okay. Eventually you didn't see people like catastrophically failing while they got laughed at by locals, mm-hmm. which I feel like is a key component of the best amazing race tasks. And so to that point you don't really ever see somebody really 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 screwed and d'angelo and gary came the closest to being that team and then they were clearly not even the last place team at any point Mm -hmm. yeah i was i was nervous for d'angelo and gary because there was a scene where kaylin and Haley 
say to the cameras, hey, it'd be really nice if one of the professional athlete teams ended up going out here on the music task. And you're like, yeah, this also would make sense when you tie it back to Phil going to like D'Angelo and Gary. You guys are really big and strong. Just as a warning, that's not going to win you out on the amazing race. Like that would have been perfectly prophetic to, to show firsthand that it doesn't take muscles to completely dominate the race. But they they live to see another day. And I do wonder I don't know. I don't know how much there is to learn from the experience other than like try to figure out how the clue writers will write the roadblock plot prompt. But outside of that, I do wonder how shaken they'll be by the fact that they were nearly eliminated here. Cody mentioned on a number of occasions just how beautiful the uh, people that were helping him with the <laughs> instructions were. Well, that was uh, synthetic, maybe one too many times. Is there something up with Cody's beard or is it his face shape? I've been really like staring at it for a long what time. You- it has a very, <laughs> I don't know. It looks like a treble clef or something like his face has such a weird shape to it. And I'm assuming he like shaves to keep the beard that it almost looks like he has like a very pointed chin that or a very like strong jawline that his his face almost looks inhuman mm. in a manner of speaking. You liked it or no? I Mm, depends on how i feel about extraterrestrials Mm. uh so your mileage may vary on that one it was just something that i really noticed and i wondered when i saw the picture if it was just like a head-on thing but no he seems to keep that very distinct jawline throughout the first leg that was really all strong jaw it's a very strong jaw wish his music skills were (laughs) as strong as his jaw maybe he'd survive so does nathan (laughs) it was really sweet though when he's like the money doesn't matter i'm just doing this for my friend and supporting him yeah Cody maybe has plenty of money. Do <laughs> you think he keeps the money in the catfish? Like how you keep money under a mattress if you don't yeah, trust just, the banks? Just what did you make of when we actually saw some noodling in action? I mean, I've seen it before. Oh, okay. That's, uh, this was my know, first if, exposure. I, I can't remember I th- I, which network used to show this all the time. Or it used to be on The Soup a lot. Mm-hmm. They had a There was a whole show about it. And The Soup used to go to that show quite a bit for their material yeah so I've, I've seen a fair amount of this and i think it's amazing i don't know how you catch any kind of wild animal with your hands yeah let alone something as slippery as a fish well, so let's yeah let's it, ask the noodling newbie though rob what did you what did you think upon actually seeing it yeah so i'm uh living a rather sheltered life over here um i did not have a lot of noodling experience <laughs> before that And I felt like that this was not something that looked particularly interesting to me. I do not want to put my hand in the fish's mouth. Uh, I barely want to catch a fish with a fishing pole. Uh, I think that uh, I'm not really sure what the upside is to stick my hand down the gullet of a catfish. Like what's in it? What's in it for me? This itself looks like something they'd make people do on The Amazing Race. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's true. I, I wonder if if they're able to film Survivor domestically, maybe instead of getting the Hawaiian sling, you can just noodle to get your fish for your <laughs> tribe dinner. Yeah. Well, you know, they've had those fishing derby tasks on Survivor. Mm-hmm. They can have a noodling, like whatever team gets the most catfish gets to keep those Yeah, catfish. I'm surprised, Rob. Why didn't you noodle with the piranhas back in <laughs> Yeah, that would be a recipe for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> would... yeah they could have just hung a giant catfish from a, from a rope and let you chew off pieces of it. Yeah, you definitely wouldn't want to do that. Uh, okay, so the teams would go from the steel drum task to now uh, head on over for some goat racing where you had to go down to the old goat racetrack and run as fast as you can with a goat on a leash 
uh, or concisely as the as the person explaining the task put it, you run with goat. <laughs> we goat Yeah. Oh, throwback. Oh. A throwback. So here we so are. None of the teams argued as much as, as Team Goat Yoga did during our exit press with them back in season three. Yeah, we really have gotten a lot of mileage out of that clip for uh, a team that was out relatively early on The Amazing Race. Yeah, so this was interesting. You know, I guess the part that is probably the most dangerous of the goat racing is the part that you have to run along aside. aside. It's not that you're walking the goat. The goat is very clearly walking you. Yeah. And that you have to make sure you don't let go. And I looked this up, and it does really seem like with goat racing, as a goat racing jockey, you have to run with the goat to, like, encourage it along so it doesn't get distracted. But that also prompts you having to run as fast as a goat, if not faster. Yes, and even though they came in first place, uh, this was a problem for hung and chi as hung had a bit of a wipeout that uh phil had to uh, assist with oh ow 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 ow, ow. Okay. you all right i'm on the mat i'm on the mat you are on the mat give me a hand oh, you, hit, you, you hit your head there it was such a tender hug he was like such I a dad so, in that I moment so awkward that she stood up and she's like all right hug phil time and it's mm-hmm. like all right maybe you are a bit concussed so i'll give you this you know usually oh, you can't None of us would have to be concussed to hug Phil when we got to the mat. Mm-hmm. Jess, do you feel like that Hung and you were a little bit like, but wait, wait, no prize? Nothing? I mean, I mean, maybe. Nada? They're, I think they were just excited to come in first. It's all about the thrill to chase. Mm-hmm. Maybe they got tickets to the next goat derby. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, they get to, to wear the goat. Yeah, they get to get their mint juleps and their, their carnival <laughs> hats out and they get to go to the next goat racing. You know, extravaganza. <laughs> I, I don't understand. Like, you have to keep the goat motivated. Those goats seemed pretty motivated to me. They're shot out of a cannon. Yeah, I mean, right. They're yeah. pretty motivated to, like, getting the hell away from the human that's holding out to their harness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that's your incentive. Get away from the human. Yeah. That was, it reminded me of the Amazing Race 10. There was a task when they were in Mongolia and they had to go horseback riding. And there was one person who, like, sort of fell off the saddle but like their head was being dragged along the ground like that's how you get christopher reeves's uh and so i was very scared <laughs> that that we would get uh you know a big injury going on but it does seem like despite phil's protestations of ow 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 that hung was okay yeah. they didn't even come close to phil i don't know what he was complaining about i at first i thought when i when i first watched it, i thought oh did they injure phil like did the goat crash <laughs> into him was it doing like a charlie from the mole season one out there but we I backed it up and watched it again, and it does not seem like the goat came within two feet of Phil. It looked like it almost plowed into the greeter. <laughs> the greeter was not complaining. It was <laughs> Phil that was like, yeah. oh, ow, ow, ow. And I don't know if that was sympathetic, ow, or what. Though I don't know. Does anyone do that? Is that like if, if I cut my finger, would you go, ooh, ow, ooh, owie? Well, ow, Mike, ow, maybe, <laughs> maybe you, do that you have a young Mike. child that if Asher falls down, that you, you don't do some sort of like, uh, oh, ow, you know, or, or no, are you, you just. Don't do but that's that, my Rob. one and a half year old son, not a 30 something year old woman. <laughs> Rob, if you react to your child falling down, then. Then they just over dramatize it for the sympathy. Mm, that's what you we're have doing to wrong. Not yeah, react so now yeah. they fall down. I think he disciplined them poorly. Now hung somebody asking for a hug, the hung hug at every pit stop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I kind of liked seeing the teams in action, seeing if they could keep up with the goat. For me, just this was a little bit like the the NFL combine. Like uh, I can see, like uh, <laughs> now I know who can move. Like those hurdlers, they they, uh, yeah. they 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 were outrunning the goats. 
I got to say that I think the highlight for me of the whole episode was the hurdlers running with those goats and like taking Boom. the goats to task. Yeah, it was it was great to see them sprinted out. And, you know, if there's any kind of foot race to the mat, you know who's winning that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Drop your backpack. Uh, it's not going to help against Kelly and LaVon. Um, the teams uh, got over there. Uh, nobody had too many problems. A couple a couple of dropped ropes. But as uh, Nathan and Cody got close, that th- they thought they had a chance to maybe get back in this thing because uh, they have a skill set. Yeah, because we're pretty good with animals and we love them. Yeah, Mike, did you get that from Nathan and Cody? They're pretty good with animals and they love them. I mean, I can understand if you love catfish considering well, you catch them. This but- begs the Robin's Podcast question of the week. Are, are fish animals? Oh, I'm going to say so. Uh, my general rule is if Dr. Doolittle can talk to them, then they're considered an animal, considering that that was his power. Uh, so I, th- I do think that fish are animals. I just think it's less so about, we, uh, you know, animals love us and more so about like animals love us is the operative word, which I would not even think the catfish are particularly happy with you fishing for them. <laughs> yes. Okay, if yeah, they don't do run away really, from them. Do you really love the animal if you kill it and eat it after you catch it? Hmm. I think you love it. I don't think it loves you. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah. We're pretty good with animals, and we love them. Yeah, we're pretty good with animals. We love them. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know. Would they, would they spur the goats along? They'd be like, "We're gonna eat you. We're gonna get you. Come on, goats." Yeah, and the goats picking up on that vibe. They're like, "Oh, these people love animals, but we don't have to love them back because they love them in a different way." Hmm. Let's talk about a couple of the teams that we didn't really get to highlight so far uh, in this uh, discussion of the episode. Uh, we haven't talked about Riley and Madison, who I thought uh, were uh, had a lot of airtime. They seemed uh, very fun. Uh, uh, Jess, did you take them number one in the draft? Um, I didn't take them number oh, one. Mike in the did. Draft. Mike, Mike did. took them. Mike, and yeah. yes. I wouldn't have taken <laughs> yeah. them number one. Yes. Yeah, I feel, I feel good about the Volley Bros after this first episode. I see your point, Rob, that we don't really know what their relationship is like. We did get a Beard origin story. Are they brothers will, or best friends? They're brothers. Yeah. Um, but I will say that I think there might have been people, they might have been another team that people were like, oh, here's another thing of like overly, you know, comical, aggressive bros. But I think they were like a fair measurement of exuberance uh you know i liked the very clearly kidding shot of cody and nathan pulling by their bone going like Yoo-hoo! and they just turn to the camera and go damn hell billies <laughs> uh, so i think they have a good sense of humor about them and it does seem like they are probably actually even more than like a will and james probably the most well-prepared team for this race mm-hmm. so i will be intrigued to see it was a pretty solid fish for them finish for them uh and a fish too but i'll i'll be in, i'll be intrigued to see more from them and hopefully they they sort of keep up the good spirits okay uh just what about will and james what'd you think about uh i think they ended up uh with a fourth uh, overall on the night yeah they did yeah, I think they so. had a great i think they had a great first leg they seemed like they didn't make any mistakes and they were really happy to be there and really excited like i loved the scene they get in the car and they're just like we're on the amazing race and i feel like we get a shot of a team doing that every year but mm-hmm. sometimes they feel a little forced and this one didn't like this one it was just genuine excitement and if they keep up that positive attitude that's going to be an asset for them 
Yeah, there's a little bit of a red herring. Speaking of fish, that they uh, that they dropped their clue and all their uh, paperwork on the ground. But it yeah, like- there was a, there was a thing where like there was between them and the Southern Sisters to get that last ticket on the first yeah. flight, and like Will was like like draped over the barrel, clues mm-hmm. strewn everywhere. Yet they seem to to have gotten that that seventh clue. I will say I was also a bit surprised. Like I do not think they're going to be our bickering couple this season, but we got a little bit. Maybe not a spat, but like a raised voice conversation with the fish where I think it was James kept getting the wrong color combination and kept saying it out loud. And Will was getting increasingly frustrated with that. So maybe something to take a note of or maybe just like that's just how they're going to communicate with each other. And, and they're a capable team. OK, uh, Jerry and Frank, they were part of my draft team. I thought this was a strong night for Jerry and Frank. Yeah, they did all right. We didn't see very much of them. Mm-hmm. Well, we saw Jerry's dance moves. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. We, we, got, we got a little bit of stock music in the background too. Like they gave him his own theme. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Frank says that uh, Jerry can't dance. Uh, that's why he needed to do the steel drum band. So uh, that, uh, I, I was enjoying Jerry and Frank. So far, yeah, so, I, so good. I, I was going to say, as long as they last, I think our, our concern was like, how would they keep up with the physical stuff? It seemed like they were one of the first teams with the barrel rolls. So I think Jerry is, is keeping up just fine. And I'm excited, sort of like Michelle and Victoria, to see more of their relationship. Because again, they sort of come in with the most baggage, not literally on their back, but in terms of like, I think Frank trying to step outside of his father's shadow to a certain perspective. Mm-hmm. And he did so, too, where he excelled where his father could not. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see more of that and more of a spotlight moving forward. OK, uh, Jess, you had uh, a Parna and Eswar in you in the draft, correct? That's correct. Yes. Uh, they had a little bit of a slow start. I think that they were in 11th place at one point in the night, but then they really rallied back in the second half of the episode. Yeah, and I, I think it's also a sign of a good leg when you can you can get to the bottom of the pack and work your way back up. Mm-hmm. So we did see a lot of mixing of the finish order on the different tasks, and I thought that was a really that's a really promising sign that they've thought through these legs uh, from a production standpoint. But I guess that doesn't really answer the question of how were Aparna and Eswar's television. And I thought. I thought they were great. I thought they were fine. They yeah. have good energy. They have a good they, deni- they got, dynamic. They- yeah, I think they got the Dodo edit, though, for a bit, uh, oh, particularly with because well, because Eswar had the thing of like, well, the reason why they were in last at that one point is because he's like, well, I don't want to get involved with the pushing and shoving for cabs. So I purposely hung back, mm-hmm. which is it's it's not exactly the smartest strategy. I guess early on, there are so many teams that you could afford it. Uh, but I did like Aparna's line in the package of them being very effing smart, mm-hmm. which yeah. is going to be very, very fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to me. I think there's points in the race when you can do that and points in the race where it's a bigger deal. And mm-hmm. I think like, for instance, we saw Will and James at the sign up board, like drop all their crap everywhere. Well, they're at a sign up board to get on a flight. And once they sign up to get on that flight, that's the very next thing they have to do so they can pick up their crap after that. So it's not a big deal. And I think it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Like when you have 11 teams and it's the first task and you're scrambling to get a cab, you can probably wait a second. There's lots of cabs. But when there's four teams left and there's three cabs at a location, that's a bigger problem. Alana and Leo uh, didn't get a ton of airtime in the premiere. But uh, Mike, I thought that they were very fun additions to this cast as well. 
Yeah, I think obviously they got pointed out at the starting line for being like, oh, we're smart. We wear glasses, doubling down on what they said in the package. They they seem very fun. I love also now knowing the happy ending of, you know, they say in their packs that they met on Tinder 10 months before the race started. And now we know that they spoiler alert, they are married. So everything is good. No trouble in paradise there. But I thought they, they hung in there pretty good uh, or cheat in there pretty good. But I, I do think that the whole like. I think the foreshadowing of like, don't underestimate us. I really do think that's going to come home to roost at some point in this season. So I do think given what we've seen of them and the storyline that's been set up, I do think they're very long for this race. This might be a little far down the rabbit hole, Jess, but I noticed that they both had like a, uh, like some sort of a necklace on that was sort of like a, a white thing that was like, it was sort of like, like a white rectangle. And I was wondering like, Oh, is this sort of a, a new uh, microphone style? that they're wearing on there and I didn't see any of the other teams had it uh, I just uh, thought that that was uh, interesting and I, I would I don't know if it's if it's jewelry or is there some sort of other function for it do you have any idea what I'm talking about I I didn't clock this Rob okay. to be honest, yeah, I, I saw there was, there was it was something like a necklace almost like it had like a band-aid wrapped around it at us mm-hmm. in, the, in the middle of it like something flesh colored if we happen to have Leo or Alana listening we would love to hear about that particular yeah. wardrobe choice. I mean it yeah. could be one of those PG things where there are extra tools built into it but mm-hmm. I think that's a little more sanctioned on the amazing race when you can pack your own bags but I could certainly think of like Having jewelry with a multi-tool built into it might be a useful thing on The Amazing Race. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was uh, something for the production or I know that also uh, I believe uh, that Leo has as uh, Leo is uh, diabetic. Is that what his? uh, So I wasn't sure if there was uh, something having to do uh, with that. So uh, maybe we'll get the answer to that somewhere along the way. And then the other team that we haven't talked that much about, uh, Kaylin and Haley, who were a little bit of a purple edit. A little bit. Yeah. That was with the hair color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Southern Sisters, uh, they they did all right that, you know, uh, Kaylin had the one moment where she ends up uh, beating out the two athletic teams in the steel drum competition. But other than that, uh, a quiet night. Yeah, but I, mean, I, but I think we, still like a, a pretty solid night overall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we did see of them, it seemed like they're competent. Like they know, they know what's going on on the race, and they're aware of what's going to be advantageous, advantageous or not. Like I think the, I think the observation that if we got rid of one of the pro sports teams, that'd be really good for us. I think mm-hmm. it, it shows that they're not just like kind of there for the ride because someone saw them in a bar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mike, any other thoughts on the premiere? No, I mean, I think, you know, there there were some weird things here and there. I'll go back to the ending of it. But if the point of a premiere is to have us get introduced to 11 teams with one being ultimately eliminated, I feel like it checked the boxes. We have some other fun stuff to get into in terms of some of the more chaff and Amazing Race uh, related stuff, including some videos that came out preseason. But we're going to save that for the tar pits. When it comes to the episode proper, I'm excited. I'm excited for them to go to Columbia. Looks like from that, like this season on, we're going to have a the yield is returning in for the first time in 21 seasons. And so Jess and I will have a lot of Amazing Race 101 about that if and when it comes up. So this this has left me very properly excited for the season and even more excited for the double coverage we get to do. Yeah, Jess, did you take anything away from the this season on The Amazing Race? Um, It looks like 
it looks like a season of the amazing race. Hmm. I didn't see like, if there was going to be something amazing. I feel like it would have been in that hmm. and they would have been hyping it. So I don't know. I think I, my bar is low for what's going to be great entertainment this year. I'm just happy it's back to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited. I'm excited for Columbia next week. I think that's going to be fun, but yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, just anything else you want to say about the premiere? Um, I, I think one thing I didn't talk about that I would love to get your thoughts on the promos for this season were really very different in their mm-hmm. look and feel from the promos from previous seasons. And part of it, instead of like, you used to have this very booming, very like masculine person or sometimes Phil, who's also, you know, himself, the alpha male, as we learned. <laughs> um, yes. Phil Kogan the, is the alpha male. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, amazing race ads used to be like this season on the amazing race. We're you know, almost like monster truck show vibe. And now we have this very calming female voice and the color palette is kind of muted with a white background. And she's saying this season on the amazing race. And is, are we just soothing people because they've had a rough year or hmm. what is the, what is the idea in this thematic pivot? Yeah. So that's um, in the commercials for the show or that's in yeah, the, the commercials uh, for the show. Yeah, the ad campaign, you know, we've seen a lot of this uh, during Big Brother. There is also a, not that they do this for Big Brother, but in the promotions that air during Big Brother, there's been a lot of commercials that are uh, like, uh, hey, hey, want to travel? Want to see the world? And it does seem like that they have like pivoted in terms of their marketing of The Amazing Race. It sort of is like uh, adjacent to like a 1-900 commercial advertisement (laughs) around the place of like, Ever wanted to travel? Sky Miles got you excited? Well, check out the amazing race. Uh, I think it's been a little bit more upbeat than that. (laughs) I don't know. According to Jess's read, it was. uh, But I I do think it's it's definitely a different take on things. And it might just be due to like the shift in mood around travel culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, now the season has started. Will the commercials continue to take on that tone or will it go back to monster truck voice, as Jess is saying? Mm -hmm. We shall see. Yeah, there's also sort of like a uh, a theme, and I feel like that it's reminiscent of where, you know, the Survivor season 40 advertising, where they sort of like had like a anthem to it, that they have definitely added that to the Amazing, Amazing Race marketing. Amazing Race! <laughs> better get ready! <laughs> I'm trying to see if I can find it on, uh, on Twitter, if uh, they have any sort of a... Um, this is a 10 second should spot. They, should, they, should they have done it for Deo instead? Mm-hmm. Like, race! The million right dollar race around the world begins in just one day. Amazing! The new season of The Amazing Race, Wednesday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Wait, yeah. th- did they come up with a song? Go where you want to go? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's been the song that's been in uh, all of the commercials that have been oh airing. Oh my God. Yeah. Did they hire the same person who sang Winners at War theme to sing the Amazing Race 32 it's, theme? It's very much like, you know, how every horror movie now has in their trailer, it'll be like a breathy female cover that's slowed way down of like some 80s pop hit. Mm hmm. And so. The world's waiting for you. They don't sound too dissimilar. Yeah. So they like that idea. Uh, maybe maybe the final task is going to actually have to be they have to record this song at the, at the end of the season. Uh, and so maybe we get spoiler that it's not going to be Gary in the, in the recording booth. 
We already got our music cast. They're usually one and done on these things. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, just in case uh, we didn't we didn't have a reason to uh, play it yet, but maybe we might do some more with the uh, Banana Boat song when we get to this uh, weekend's Tar Pit. Yes, and also uh, thank you to those patrons especially and people on Twitter who sent us in questions. We're going to reserve that usually for the Tar Pits, just so you know this is going to be usually just the three of us talking. So don't be, don't fret if you didn't get your question answered in this podcast. We'll be sure to bring it up. And you can still send us questions as well until we record this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So we will take your questions. Hashtag T-A-R-P-I-T. Hashtag Tar Pit. We'll take your questions. Uh, you will hear our exit interview uh, with uh, Nathan and uh, my brother Cody over on <laughs> uh, the Tar Pit as well. And we'll have a lot of fun along the way. Um, yeah. The La Brea Tar Pits are immediately angry at us for co-opting their hashtag. Yeah. Same way that um, that. Uh, that cancer research foundation ended up having to change their hashtag when we took over mole patrol. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> wow. Okay. Maybe brought more exposure to it. Yeah, I think it did. I, I think we, we kind of, we spread the, we spread the word that watching a 20 year old reality show is fun, but you should also make sure you get your skin checked. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Two and one. Just which song would you rather hear on repeat locked in a room all day? Uh, Deo or Tiny Bubbles? <laughs> I, I think I gotta go with Deo because Tiny <laughs> Bubbles is a nightmare. I don't know. I feel like the steel drum is much more jarring to me than like the ukulele of Tiny Bubbles. So I want I, if I'm trying to get some sleep, I would much rather have that than the bonk, 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 bonk. Yeah, but what is I, I also which one sounds spookier when you start playing it backwards and slowing it down and speeding it up? I guess that's also well, a concern. When you mm-hmm. play Deo backwards, does it become Nido? <laughs> yeah. It becomes O'Day and it becomes a... Um, Aubrey O'Day? Yes. Yeah. Oh, then the, the, the daddy king comes reference. out and performs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and Mike, uh, which was your uh, preferred <laughs> day usage on CBS Reality TV on Wednesday night? Uh, Day-O or Daydream? I mean, one makes absolutely no sense. So I got to go with Deo because I think we're still trying. I mean, I guess Daydream has uh, some implications that cause more conversations. But Deo just has any sound sense of logic to it. And that puts it above Daydream any day of the week. Okay. All right. Jess, anything else you want to add? Um, I, I don't think so. I think I think we're going to call it a Deo. Okay. So, Mike, I know you have the exit interview coming up with Nathan and Cody later on on Thursday. Uh, what else is going on? So much stuff. I actually I, I took out the calculator uh, between last Sunday and the Sunday before I recorded 10 podcasts, Whoa. which is not sustainable. Jesus Christ, Do Mike. not recommend going double digits. Uh, but a lot of great stuff uh, covering Big Brother 22 with Liana, uh, covering Star Trek with Jess. We just uh, Star Trek Discovery is premiering. It actually came out today at the day we're recording this. So we were recording this weekend. I got to join Josh Wiggler and Chappelle. Aside from our Lost Down the Hatch stuff, we did a Brant Steel drum 
if you will, of Avengers Endgame, which was actually our first multi-part brand steal, where we did the full Australian Survivor season, uh, which was an, an incredible pre-merge so far. We haven't recorded the post-merge. And uh, also, speaking of Survivor, I did an Australian Survivor think tank with several Australian luminaries in the RJP community a couple of weeks back, if, you, if you're itching for some Survivor and you want to check that out. So, lots of stuff going on at a Mike Bloom type and plenty more to come, including the tar pits. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see you again uh, this weekend. Jess, how about you? Uh, well, Mike, Mike brought up Star Trek and we're both very excited to be getting into that. And I would say the only person who might have come close to recording as many podcasts as Mike this week is Chappelle because he also joined me and Josh Wiggler for our breakdown of everything that's happening in the Walking Dead universe. We are calling that podcast uh, Fear the Walking Dead World Beyond because it is both of these shows in one compact and efficient podcast. Yes. And Rob, I really wish you were watching Walking Dead World Beyond with us because it's everything I told Josh that I would watch it. So that uh, I've got to go to uh, my brother's wedding next week. But after that, I, I will join you. Yeah, you it's really it's 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 Rob bait like Good. you're gonna really you're gonna really respond to it is mm. what I'm gonna say yes. um, and then this week uh, with the premiere of the Bachelorette I wrote an article for primetimer.com that breaks down everything we know about what happens this season it's a little bit spoilery but it's also there's some speculation there and I watched the first episode of the Bachelorette this week I don't I don't keep up with every season religiously but it was it was fun. It's a oh. ride. This is going to be a good season. Okay. All right. Uh, and be sure to check out uh, our Bachelorette recap uh, with yes. Amy and Haley in our wrap up feed. That. Uh, yeah. To check that out. Uh, I also got to join uh, Josh Wiggler on a brand new offering from Post Show Recaps called Origin Story, where we talked mm. about uh, how I got into podcasting and a lot of the origins of Post Show Recaps. Uh, that's up on postshowrecaps.com. Uh, and of course, we have everything going on with all of the Big Brother on Rob as a podcast. And then, not to mention uh, more talking with T Bird. I'll be recording uh, later today for that. Make sure you subscribe to Rob has a website.com slash iTunes. And if you are looking for our amazing race podcast feed only, you can go to, I'm a little rusty, but I believe the link is Rob has a website.com slash T A R podcast and you can go ahead and get our amazing race podcast feed in the apple podcast store wherever amazing podcasts are located all right uh thank you so much uh thanks to the support of all of the robert's podcast patrons for making all this podcast possible take care everybody have a good one bye